spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble the whole congregation at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with a robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with a band. And he placed the breast piece on him, and in the breast piece he put the urim and the thuminium, and he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in the front he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil, and he anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and he consecrated them, and he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times. And he anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and he anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord command in Moses. Please. A man named Mishael was next in line at the curtain of the tabernacle. And as Levi motioned to him, he walked toward the altar with a young bull. He began to go on and on to Levi about how sorry he was for his short temper and uh, sorry that he had to come back again. Levi assured him, though, that his sins would be forgiven, even though it was the fourth time this month that he had come. Levi led the bull toward the altar, which had a fire going underneath it continually, and he reached for his sacrificial knife, and in one quick practice move, he cut the artery in the neck that carried the lifeblood of this innocent animal. If this were not done smoothly, things could get pretty messy pretty quickly. But this time was smooth, and the animal slumped to the ground, and Levi began to extract the portions of the animal that were required to be burned on the altar. And as he did this, he wondered, would there ever be a time when this endless flow of blood would cease? Today we are in this text looking at the establishment of the priesthood in our journey in the Old Testament. And here we see that this priesthood was established not as a permanent thing, but as something that was temporary. And to look forward to the permanent, we have to go in our Bibles to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 7. And so I would encourage you, we're going to be walking through this today, if you could uh, take out your Bibles or look in the Bibles in the pew there and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be working through five different points here in regard to the establishment of this new and permanent priesthood. As we look at Hebrews 7, we realize that this portion of Scripture is about a man named Melchizedek. 
And Melchizedek is a very interesting figure in the Bible. There's not much that we know about him. He's mentioned in the Old Testament and one section. And then again, he's mentioned here. And in this uh, chapter in Hebrews, we see that he is similar or he is compared to Jesus and Jesus' priesthood. And so we see some similarities here, some things about Melchizedek that are compared to Jesus as the superior high priest, superior in every way to the Old Testament priesthood. And the first reason that he was superior is because he was the priest of God most high. In the first verse of chapter 7 here, it states that Melchizedek was a priest of God most high. And so the first thing that we must realize is what is the role of the priest? Why do they need priests? What were the priests' role? And so when God led his people out of Israel, there were two things that needed to be happened. First of all, he needed to speak to the people, and so he needed a mediator between the people and God. So as he spoke to the people, he used Moses as his prophet, and that's what a prophet does. A prophet speaks the word of God to the people. But there also had to be a mediator the other direction, from the people to God. The people couldn't just directly go to God. And so they needed this priest, a priest who would come and offer sacrifices to the Lord so that the sins of the people could be covered and they would not be destroyed when they came into the presence of the Lord. And so God chose Aaron, that line of Levi, in order to be priest and represent the people to God, bringing sacrifices and turning away the wrath of God. The only problem with these priests in the Old Testament is that they were mere men. They were sinful. They needed to offer sacrifices for themselves first as they came into the presence of the Lord. And this is why it was different, this priest in the order of Melchizedek, because God's representatives fall short as human beings. The sons of Eli, the priests in the book of Samuel, they were greedy for fleshly desires for gain. They were stealing away from the people the fat portions. They were flawed human beings. And many priests down through the history of the Old Testament also did not do their job. They did not love the people. They wanted recognition. They wanted prestige. They wanted money. And then there are priests who don't even represent God at all. Pagan priests all around. They were bringing people in bondage to demons. And so the first reason to get excited about Jesus as our high priest is that he is priest of God most high. And the unique thing about him is that God sent him to become like us, to become our brother, so that he would know our weaknesses. But while he was here, he also led the perfect life. And so he did not have to make a sacrifice for himself first. He became that perfect sacrifice and so animals were not needed over and over again like in the Old Testament because Jesus stands as an everlasting reminder of his sacrifice on the cross. In our modern era, we hear people called priests, typically in the Roman Catholic Church. And they believe that Jesus is sacrificed over and over again in the Eucharist or their version of communion. 
But we recognize that when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The sacrifice was done. And so now, Jesus does not need to be sacrificed over and over again. That's why I'm called a pastor and not a priest. That's why this is a communion table and not an altar. We are not sacrificing Jesus over and over again every week. We are recognizing the thing that he has done for us that's already finished. And we're very thankful for the fact that he is our high priest, priest of God most high. The second thing we look at here is that he is prophet, priest, and king. Look at the second half of the verse here, of uh, verse 2. It says... He is king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. Salem was another name for Jerusalem. And so Melchizedek was the king of Jerusalem at that time when Abraham was around. And so we can be glad that Jesus is not only a prophet, he speaks the words of God. He's not only a priest, meaning that he is the sacrifice for our sins, but he is also a king. And he is a king of peace, a king of righteousness. Jesus has many titles that that are attached to this kingdom of his. And the main one is the king of righteousness. The fact that this is his name indicates that he not only acts righteously, but by his very nature, he is righteous. There are certain names that are synonymous with a particular characteristic of individuals. When you think of Hitler, for instance, we think of unrestrained evil. When we say the word Einstein, we might think of intellectual genius. Or when we say the word Stroud, we might think of dazzling good looks. But when we say the word Jesus, we think of righteousness. He lived this life that was completely right before the Father. And he did everything in obedience to God as God called him to do these things. And so as the king of righteousness, he now extends that characteristic, righteousness, to his subjects, to the future heirs, to the kingdom. And so we are made righteous, made perfect by his blood. And this might seem like a bit of an elementary principle in Christianity, but it really is one of the biggest things when we think of the corrupt ruling system that rules over the people around us in the world. Because even if a ruler deals with those who are under his authority in a just manner, it can never be said of him that he is perfectly righteous. Here we see Jesus is also called the king of peace, which is what we see the word Salem. That means peace. And that's where we get our word shalom when we say that. The first way that he is the king of peace is that he brings peace between God and mankind. I want you to remember the statement that the angels spoke at the announcements of of Jesus' birth. This is in Luke 2.13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And suddenly now, because Jesus has come, there's goodwill toward men from God. Not wrath, not judgment goodwill. And so he tears down that separating wall between God and mankind. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? Remember what happened in the temple? 
This temple that had this curtain that kept people from going into the most holy place, that curtain was ripped in half and blown wide open by an earthquake. And so we see now that separating wall is not there for us. In fact, we can approach the throne room boldly, the Bible tells us. Free access through Christ. The third thing I want you to notice here in Hebrews 7 is that he is an everlasting priest. Look at verse 3. It says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Since I arrived here at Elam, I've been thinking about the previous pastors that have served here uh, in this church. And some stayed for long periods of time. Pastor Mark was here, what, 16 years, right? Some stayed for very short periods of time. And if the Lord tarries, I'll be gone as well, or I'll die, right? And that's the problem with mortals. Eventually, we die. But Jesus here, it says, continues on forever and ever to minister before the Father on our behalf. And being fully God, he doesn't need to sleep, Or rest, he's making intercession on our behalf. And the main reason he's making intercession for us, or standing up for us in front of the Father, is because the devil is still active. He is still accusing the brethren before the throne. One of the main reasons that he does this, that Jesus does this, is because we continue to make mistakes. Our flesh and the world still continue to push in on us. And so he intercedes for us. His blood intercedes for us. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were laid upon the altar were dead animals. And that blood was burned up. And more animals had to be killed. And this happened for hundreds of years. Imagine being a priest. If that were my job, I'd be more of a butcher than I would be a minister. And so, the wrath of God was never satisfied, as seen in Psalm 40, verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offering you have not required. But now notice the difference that Jesus makes in Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Never take away sin. But when Christ had offered up uh, for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because his job was finished. He had gone forth from the throne in order to do what God wanted him to do, and now he was returning back to the throne, having accomplished it, and he sat down forever, having fulfilled that sacrifice. The fourth thing we notice here is that Jesus is able to bless because of his superiority. We see this in verse 6. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham. So what happens here, just a context, Abraham went out with a bunch of different kings and waged war. And so now he comes back to Melchizedek as the king of Jerusalem and he offers him tithes. Offers tithes to him. And so we see Um, a hierarchy here happening. Tithes are offered always up, right? And blessings always come down, okay? Blessings are from the higher to the lower, and tithes go up from the lower to the higher. And so here, Abraham, the founder of the faith, right, offers tithes up, 
and then Melchizedek then in turn blesses. And so that tithe was spoils of the victory. They had won the battle, and he somehow gives credit to Melchizedek's blessing of him. And so, too, we have a battle that's taking place. And the one who's bringing us the victory is Jesus. He gives us power over the devil. He gives us power over death. And there's a last battle that's coming eventually, perhaps in our lifetime, where Jesus returns and that battle is finished, the devil is defeated, and all of his followers are thrown into the lake of fire. And that's this blessing that Jesus gives us because of his superiority. As pastors, many times we represent the Lord in certain ways because we are called under-shepherds of the great shepherd. And so we bless, like after communion. I pronounce a blessing over the congregation. I pronounce a benediction, or we pray blessings over people. But do you know we can only bless those things that God has already blessed? Do you know there are many pastors, many priests, many churches out there that are blessing things that actually cannot be blessed? Blessing extramarital relationships. Blessing shady deals in, you know, businesses. Blessing homosexual unions. Those things cannot be blessed. And the reason we know this is because in Numbers 24, starting in verse 10, here's the story of Balaam. I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them three times. Therefore now flee to your own place, I said. I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. So somebody paid Balaam, basically, to curse Israel. And he said, I can't curse Israel because I can only bless them because that's what God has called me to do. And so we can only bless those things that God has already blessed. And those are things that are in Scripture that are written for us. And so that's why we bless you with the blessings of Scripture. We bless you with the promises of the Bible. Not just my own opinion, well, I hope you have a good time. No, these are things right from the Bible that God declares are a blessing for us. Number five, last thing is, he has made us a kingdom of priests. In 1 Peter 2.9, it declares an amazing truth that Jesus now, as a high priest, has made us also a kingdom of priests. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Well, wait a second, Pastor Scott. I thought you just told me that the Catholic priests, they have it wrong. They shouldn't be called priests. They should be called pastors. And we're not priests, or you're not a priest. Notice that the priesthood that we have is that we can boldly go before the Lord as we proclaim our prayers for other people. We are bringing people to the Lord because the throne room has now been opened by the blood of Christ, and so it says we can enter boldly into the throne room. And we bring our sacrifices, which is the sacrifice of our daily lives. That is an aroma before the Lord. When we obey the Lord, when we follow him, that's an aroma that goes up before the Lord as a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise, a a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And the reason that we can go in now is because of Jesus. It's not because of the saints. It's not because of Mary. We can walk right in to the throne room. 
You know, in ancient times, you just didn't walk into the king's palace, right? You just didn't go into the throne room and walk right in. Hey, king, I got a question for you. You'd been dead on the spot because soldiers were right there. You had to have a signal from the king, and then what would happen is that the, the soldiers would lower their spears or lower their swords, and you could walk through. And so that signal for us from the throne is that Jesus has lowered the sword. We are no longer under threat of death. We can go right in, even with our shame, even with our guilt. All those things can be covered, and we can go right into the throne room. Confessing before the Lord the things that we have done, and him in return telling us, I love you, child. Come, let's restore the relationship. Don't hide your sins from me any longer. Another way that we become priests is by our lives before the Lord. We die daily, Paul said. And so that's a sacrifice as well, dying to yourself, right? But to those who reject God, you know what the aroma is? We become aroma of death to them. Not our death, their own death. When we're in the presence of other people and we begin to smell spiritually to them, those who love the Lord and who are called by him, they smell life. But those who reject, that's why many times when you go out there and you start talking about the Lord or talking about Christian things, people get upset. They get angry. Because anytime you smell a have you ever smelled a dead thing? It's not pleasant, especially if it's you, right? In conclusion this morning, many of us relate to God as we relate to our own fathers. If we had a certain relationship with our father, that many times colors the way that we relate to the Lord. And so, for instance, for me, I had an abandoned dad. He left us. And so I always thought of God as kind of this distant, yeah, maybe he'll call me, maybe he likes me, I don't know, it's hard to tell, right? And for many of you, you might have similar circumstances where you had a bad relationship with your father. And that kind of creates a problem with your relationship with the Lord. But do you know God wants to do a deep healing in that? He might provide you with other spiritual fathers, pastors, people that speak into your life and become those who can change your view of the way God is as your father. But, you know, many times, even though I've had all that in my life, I still wonder, is he really going to let me in? <laughs> Does he still love me? Does he even like me? And a wise professor told me back at seminary, whenever you wonder about those things, Scott, always look to the cross. Is that me, Rach? I'll set it right here. So when we begin to wonder about those things, we wonder about whether God loves us, we look to the cross. I can't imagine sending any one of my three sons to die for somebody else's sins. Maybe like to defend our country or into the police force or something like to protect and serve and whatever like that. But let's say somebody was just an evil person, they had done a bunch of bad stuff, and then you know, the judge said, well, if your son dies for them, we'll let them go. No, it's not going to happen. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did. He sent his son to die for us, to become our high priest. And I'm so glad that we have that superior high priest now. We don't have to have, you don't have to line up here on Sunday morning with a bunch of animals for us to come in here and slaughter so that you can be covered in your sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, the superior high priest who has once and for all covered us 
in his blood and made us righteous before your throne. This mystery that's very difficult to understand, Lord. And yet by faith we trust that you have made us righteous and we're very thankful for that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.